0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up
1: front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way, and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
0: Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? Right.
2: You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Hi, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I have an anthology coming out called Moms Don't Have Time 2, a quarantine anthology, and it comes out on February 16th and has essays by sixty plus of the authors who have been on this podcast. So first of all, please pre-order this book. I think you will love it. I'm so excited about all the authors who are represented Um, just to give you a few. um, Chris Bajalian, uh, Jewel Parker Rhodes, Ashley Prentice Norton, Gretchen Rubin, Rima Zaman, Eileen Zimmerman. And that is just from the first page of the multi-page table of contents. So please pick up this book, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology. It's available... Anywhere you buy books, amazonbookshop.org and your local independent bookstore. So please pick up a copy. And also, I want to invite you listeners to my um, fundraiser slash launch party the night it comes out on February 16th, a Tuesday at 7 p.m., Bookhampton and the Children's Museum of the East End are co-hosting it for me, and fifty of the authors who wrote essays in this book, as well as many of the amazing authors who blurbed this book, um, who wrote little praiseworthy quotes at the at the front, will be there, and you can be there too. health system, and it is named after my husband's mother who passed away from COVID over the summer, which many of you followed along on Instagram as I uh, recounted that horrific experience. So all the proceeds are going there. The cost includes the price of a book. So thank you for supporting this effort and for supporting my book. I can't wait to see you there. Today's episode has been sponsored by author Joe Piazza's new podcast, Under the Influence. Under the Influence is a deep dive into the mom internet, a place haunted by aspirational marketing where it feels like every other mom is a social media influencer trying to sell you something, all while posed in white kitchens that never seem to get messy with toddlers and cloth diapers that never ever leak, a bastion of carefully curated lives that are hashtag blessed. And behind this airbrushed perfection is money, so much money, billions and billions of dollars, a multi-billion dollar industry we never talk about. Journalist and mom of two, Joe Piazza, brings a keen reporter's lens to examine how we got here, what it all means, and how the commodification of motherhood is driving normal mothers to the brink. And through it all, she wonders if she should just join the ochre-hued ranks of the momstagrammers, if she too can make thousands of dollars off beautiful photos of bath time, frolicking in fields of purple flowers, and posing her newborn next to a beautiful latte, and if this is the future of content. Check it out. Joe Piazza's Under the Influence. Hi, everybody. Today is day three of the February Book Blast, and it is Literary Fiction Wednesday. So I hope you enjoy all of these authors and interviews. Sometimes so many collect that I have to just blast out a bunch all at once, and that's what this week is all about. So if you missed Memoir Monday or Nonfiction Tuesday, you can go back and listen to those. And coming up is New Novels Thursday and Family Theme Memoirs Friday. So listen as much as you can. It's such a nice time talking to Rebecca Sachs. Rebecca is a graduate of the programs in writing at the University of California, Irvine. She's the recipient of a 2020 Elizabeth George Foundation Award, 2019 Canada Council for the Arts Grant, and the Joseph F. McCrindle Foundation's 2019 Henfield Prize in Fiction Writing. She has been awarded fellowships from the Breadloaf Writers Conference, the Juniper Summer Writing Institute, and the Mellon Sawyer Documenting War Seminar Series. After graduating from Dartmouth College, she worked for several years at Vanity Fair, which we talked about because I did too, before moving to Tel Aviv to pursue a Master's of Arts in Jewish Studies. She has written Dispatches from Tel Aviv and Jerusalem for publications, including the Paris Review Daily, and City of a Thousand Gates is her first novel. Welcome, Rebecca. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss City of a Thousand Gates. Congratulations on this novel.
3: Thank you.
2: This is like a literary achievement. This is like a big deal, right? It's like interwoven stories, people's lives intersecting, great prose, different characters. It's like an epic journey. Congratulations. <laughs>
3: Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I, I actually just got the Like the bound copy, so I noticed. Oh, let's see, yeah. Oh, here I don't know if you can see. Oh, good, yeah. I know I'm someone who's like very attached to like the book as an object, you know, and and so I just holding it and feeling like the texture of the cover. I noticed I've been dressing to match it ever since I got it. So, (laughs) these are great colors.
2: In fact, this would be a great blanket perhaps, maybe <laughs> curtains. <laughs> I think this could be some sort of textile you could involve in your home.
3: <laughs> yeah. I really loved the design. You know, Harper did such a great job, my, my publisher, in really like listening to, I guess, not just to like me as the author, but reading the book carefully and everything surrounding the book has like reflected that so much. And this is my first book, my first novel. I had no idea what to expect. And I actually... The cover to me is so, it has that sense of like multiple narratives, doors opening and closing, lives intersecting. Like, I was so taken with it. So, I'm very grateful to them actually for, you know, uh, I suppose hearing me and kind of reflecting the work so beautifully. So, yeah.
2: So, tell me about writing this book and when you started it. I know you've had like multiple what bread loaf, you've gotten all these fellowships and retreats and you've been at this for a while and everybody obviously keeps identifying your talent. So when did this start and how did it change and take shape over the years?
3: Yes. So it almost feels like we grew up together or something. This novel and I, I'm 34 now. And I think in a way I started writing it even before I knew I was writing fiction. I was about 26. I left New York city. I'd been working in magazines at, I really lucked out after college, right after college, I got a job at vanity fair. It was like the best education you could ask for. I
2: actually, I interned at vanity fair. Stop. I did. Yes. Oh my gosh. Wait, you probably were not even born. No, I'm kidding. I'm 44. I interned my freshman year of college. So when was
3: that? 1995 that summer. So cool. may I ask, like, who were you working directly with anyone? I, 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 I have so so, like, I did feelings for that time.
2: Yeah, no, no, no. I rotated departments, so I started in special oh. events, and at that time, I had like no idea who anybody was, oh and gosh, I had to answer Sarah the Mark? phone. And, was that was she? Yes, Sarah Mark. Oh, cool! Oh my god! And like Amy Bell would walk in and turn yes. hour, and I actually emailed with Amy. Bell, I was like, like, recently, and I was like, I was an intern and you were there. And she was, yeah, she did, not, did not remember me, but that's fine. And then I moved to the features department for a little bit with Jane Sarkin. Oh my gosh, I love Jane. Yes, wonderful. And I remember so well, I'm sure she doesn't remember me either. I was there for like a week in her department. Shame, but, <laughs> but she was, I'll never forget, cause she was on the phone as I was, I don't know, filing slides or I don't know what I was doing for her. And she was trying to schedule her C-section Based around the Hollywood issue. That's so. That she must have a child now that was born in 1995.
3: Yeah, sure. She has. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And that. Wow. That. (laughs) What. What a power move! <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I re- yeah, I really admired everyone I worked with there, and I was probably really foolish to, to leave, but I did. And <laughs> not long after, I-, I-, I worked very briefly at a travel magazine. It was-, was very cool, a lot of fun. Departures, and then I, I moved to Israel. I-, I thought I was doing a master's in Jewish studies. I mean, I was doing a master's. I thought that's why <laughs> I went, but I think really deeper down, I, I wanted to get lost. You know, I I wanted to just to, to get lost. I, I I didn't know any Hebrew aside from like, I grew up in a very secular home. My, you know, reform, generally speaking, sort of reform, but my mother wasn't born Jewish and didn't convert. We were just sort of raised in this like secular nebulous zone, I guess. So I I, I didn't have strong feelings one way or the other. On Israel, I didn't speak any Hebrew except I knew the bracha for the Hanukkah candles. Good to know. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're gonna know any of them, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one, I <laughs> And and I, yeah, I think I wanted to get to 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 go to a place where I had to articulate. To my, everything anew to myself. I had to learn new languages and I spent years studying Hebrew and, and Arabic. And I, you know, where there's all these boundaries, all these divisions, and I had to sort of articulate them to myself and learn how to hear them and see them. And at that time, I began writing essays for, for a couple different outlets. The ones I'm most proud of for sure were published in the Paris Review's website, The Daily. But in a way, I, I think I was sort of starting the novel at that point, in the sense of I was coming to know and to explain to myself the landscape I was in. A lot of times, I think when you're drafting a story or a novel, the very, very first draft is you telling the story to yourself. Later drafts become ways in which you are, you are telling the story to an audience. We're making it, you know, legible to an audience. But I, I think the first draft is a story you tell yourself. I think in the first drafts, it was a story I was telling myself about a place that had you know, at least two different names for everything, at least, you know, maybe one, you know, one in Hebrew, one in Arabic, one the UN uses, that's three, you know, at least different. And eventually I think I lost interest in myself as the center of these stories, or I, I felt that I was so limited in, in, in the kinds of stories I could tell if I was the narrator and if my if my body was at the center and so I did what I love most, you know, which is I got lost <laughs> in other characters, in other lives. And and so and 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 that was sort of the story of the novel. And I, I think why it took, you know, a good, I would say, gosh, I don't know, I, I should have these numbers handy. Let's say six years to write, maybe. And really a a process of sort of learning to hear, learning to see, and then learning to to disappear into other lives and to let these, these, these characters, and as, as you know, there are quite a few of them in this novel, but let them tell the story of their lives in this place.
2: Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) So wait, tell me then after you spent all that time, how you ended up selling the book, like
3: the publication. Mm, So I'm sure like many people think that they are like, that they have the best agent, (laughs) okay who's your agent then (laughs) her name's joy harris and she's wonderful and and she read this novel i made a great decision in about 2016 i was living in israel i was living in tel aviv and i thought if I, i i had i had some i had begun what i thought maybe could be a novel but i didn't even really know what shape it would have i almost just had some some scenes that felt important to me some of them based on things people had told me or incidents, friends, siblings had told me about that I fictionalized. By fictionalized, I mean, maybe they had a narrow miss. What could have happened didn't happen. And so I fictionalized it by pushing it farther by, okay, well, what if the worst thing did happen? What, what would the consequences have been? That, that kind of thing. But it was it was all really just very early drafting. And I came to understand if I really wanted to do this the best thing I could do for myself would be go to an MFA where I had full funding, where I could write for two, or if I was really lucky and got into a three-year MFA for three years with full funding, maybe get a little teaching experience, and that that this would be the way that I would have concentrated time to work on the novel as opposed to doing it in the morning, you know, between 5am and 7.30 before I went to work, which I would definitely still have been writing it, which, I mean, is fine. That's That's a, a very good way to write a book. I just... I wanted more more time to devote to it. I wanted to get lost at, again, I suppose, my in 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 the work. And so I I, I applied to and got into the MFA at UC Irvine, just in, in Orange County just south of where I am. Now, and it was for me there's there's a lot of debate in the writerly world, do you go to an MFA or not? What does that mean for how it shapes your writing, who gets in, what are the problematics of, of, of these institutions. So all very worthwhile discussions for me personally.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation. We thought we'd bring our prices down.
3: the best thing I could have done for my work. I just, mostly because I had all of this beautiful time, you know, the ultimate commodity, I think, for a writer. But one of my teachers there, Michelle Thiolet, she had told her agent about my work, which was very lucky for me because then when I eventually did send Joy my novel, she was at least expecting to see it. I, I didn't have to, you know, wait a few weeks or even months till it. she got to it in her stack. So that was very, that was, that was nice. It was nice to, to, to sort of arrive at her, at her door, as it were, with a letter of introduction, but you know, she became my agent because she loved the book And, and she was one of the first people I'd spoken to who read it from, from start to end. She was actually the first person outside of my, my MFA program. And it was just amazing to be read exactly how I hoped I'd be read. And for her to hear to someone who was reading reading the book with her heart, I, I could feel it. And I, I didn't think about it long. And she, you know, she she's a pro, so she knew exactly where she was. Much more ambitious for the book than I was. I didn't think I would we would go to a big press. I mean, I I don't know. That just seemed outsized. I, I didn't have. I, I that was just. I guess I was I was limited by my own imagination or ambition. But she had her own idea. about, you know, we were going to go to. To Harper. And, and so I, I, I'm, I'm really, yes, I, I, I think, but when people ask me now, maybe like friends who are going through the process for themselves of looking for an agent, I always say like, you, you want someone who is just in love with your book. Like that, that's the most important thing, more important than maybe I know some there's, there's a lot of other considerations and, and they're all important too, about the access that person has, or maybe, I don't know how long they plan to be working or how long they have been working. And of course, like these are all considerations, but more than anything, you want someone who is just, who is in love with your book and who can share that with, with anyone that they, they bring that work to. So for anyone who's, who's thinking about agents or or shopping, I would say that's what makes your agent the best agent, <laughs> you know, loving your work very much. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You have to have some sort of meeting of the souls over a book. Oh, what a beautiful way to put it. Yeah, totally. Yes. Yes. I love that. And we'll use it and quote you. Yes. Oh, thank you. Great. Yeah. I love (laughs) that. I love that.
2: (laughs) That's awesome. So you are a citizen of Israel and the U.S. and Canada everywhere. You speak languages. You're like (laughs) all over the planet. Tell me about your identity, like yourself, right? You're, you're like a world traveler. So how do you, like, where do you
3: find yourself at home the most? Hmm. I was talking to a friend about this recently or what feels like recently, but time has been for all of us so slippery. So a few years ago, I was talking to a friend about this and I was, I was asking I was saying like, it's so hard to know where I sort of belong in a sense because, I was born in New York City. I moved to Canada and first to New Jersey and then to Canada, all with my family. And then I went to college in the States and then I moved to Israel and then I briefly left Israel. I I, I thought I would go to divinity school, not not to become a member of the clergy, but to be an academic in religion. But it was so funny. I I kept (laughs) dropping out of my translation classes. This was at Chicago. Chicago to take fiction classes with the novelist Vu Tran. So, <laughs> I was like, I think I need to rethink what I'm doing. <laughs> but but that was an important few months for me when I was living in Chicago. It was also when I formally converted to Judaism even though I was raised in a in a Jewish home to I think I wanted to feel like I was fully embracing the my not just my Jewish identity, but I think my place in a Jewish community and and of course being formally a Jew is very important for things like being counted in a minion and and which it just, you know, it depends of course on your denomination, whether a woman would be counted, but I'm I'm a conservative Jew. So that's all kosher. (laughs) But anyway, so, so I think, but my converting rabbi, a wonderful man named Rabbi David Minkus, a really generous, thoughtful person who, Never sort of dangled his own power over me in this situation, which in which you are vulnerable as, as someone converting. And he, he was very, he said a couple wonderful things to me. One was, Oh, you were always a Jew. I'm just making it official, which I, you know, thought was sweet. <laughs> and another was, he's like, he said it was very interesting. He said, You know, you'll always feel like, he's like, you'll always feel like an outsider because we all do, which I, I also thought was interesting that even when you make, sort of official steps to be embraced by your community that everyone always everywhere feels a little like an outsider. And I think so do I at times. I've wondered if I feel most at home when I have one foot in and one foot out of something where I'm a little on the periphery, a little standing back watching the moment happen rather than inside the moment, for example. So I've wondered if that's where I feel at home. The friend I was speaking to about this, I was saying it was kind of funny I was speaking specifically about my status as a Jewish person in Israel, where according to, for example, the state of Israel, I am Jewish, and I was granted Israeli citizenship through the law of return, which dictates who, who is eligible for Israeli citizenship based on Jewishness. And, but not Jewish according to the rabbinut, the r- rabbinical authority of the state, which is which is orthodox and and so I'm sort of like in inside and outside there, which is an odd place to be as a person, but a perfect place to be as a writer. I have to admit, you know. So being 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 inside, being being having at once full access and yet being a little excluded is sort of the ideal, I would say, position to write a novel from. But I was speaking to this this friend of mine. His name is Benjamin Valant. He wrote a, a superb book on the fate of Kafka's letters after and papers after, after Kafka died. And he said, well, maybe you're at home in the text. And I, I don't know if it's true, but I love the way it sounded. <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds great. So yeah, so I think my identity is in some ways a little fractured perhaps. And yet I think because I grew up very much between things, between countries, religions, at times even languages a little I feel very purposeful in the choices I've made about the parts of my identity I've chosen to embrace and the communities I've chosen to make myself part of. None of it feels particularly incidental. It all feels like I've I sort of made made choices about where I wish to belong. Oh, well, that's interesting.
2: <laughs> I grew up Jewish. I am Jewish. And I when I was getting remarried, My husband converted to Judaism Mm. because I I have, my kids are Jewish and blah, blah, blah. So I am familiar with that whole process and what that's like and what you have to learn and go through and the commitment of it. But yeah, but we have not gone to Israel. I have actually never been to Israel in my entire life, which is really embarrassing to say. This is like on my wish list.
3: (laughs) It's hard. It's sometimes it's, it's, there's so much going on and there's so many strong feelings you know, that people have, I, I completely understand that almost like the instinct to put it off a little, like, like a difficult conversation you keep kind of putting on. I'm just like, going
2: to blame my parents. They should have taken me. They should have.
3: I mean, We went to Italy instead, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> the wrong side of the Mediterranean. <laughs> <laughs> Although it was a great trip. I'm sure. I- I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, when you go in <laughs> and you want recommendations, please don't Don't hesitate to ask.
2: Thank you. Yes, you'll be my go to on that. So, what is coming? Are you at work on another project or are you just like, oh my gosh, I finally finished this and I'm putting it off to the side and taking a deep breath for a
3: while? No, I need to be at work always. I, 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 maybe that's where I'm at home, you know, I guess. Working, writing. I love that question. I think I'll think about that for the rest of the day. Where am I at home? But no, so I'm, I'm working on something new. And it's interesting. I'm I'm writing in first person, which I haven't done in years and years now. It's like a very unused muscle. In fact, sometimes I'm finding I have to write in third person, because that's just the the as the novel, just I should say to anyone of course, who hasn't read it yet, that the novel is written in like a very close, close third, where I'm switching to all these points of view. And but writing in first person, all these sentences with I, it's so, I, I haven't done it in a while. Did
2: I even ask you to describe what the book was about to listeners? Oh, maybe with you- pleasure. Yeah. What a fun <laughs> challenge. we <laughs> okay. can start with that, but maybe I missed that question. No, so for- no listening. Tell them what the <laughs> book is actually about now that we've talked about your entire life and everything else.
3: <laughs> well, I've enjoyed the attention. So.
2: Oh, good. <laughs> I've had a pleasant time myself.
3: <laughs> so yes. Okay. So the book is, which I'm holding again, because I'm just so fun. Fa- I'm, I'm so excited to finally have it. It is set in present day, um, the present day West Bank and Jerusalem and so in a place where Israel and Palestine are always kind of in contact and in these places, and it is a narrative that is, I suppose, <laughs> not unlike myself, quite fractured in that it follows, I think I count, I, my last count was about 29 characters that were sort of following in the aftermath of two tragedies, two I suppose, ethnically motivated murders. One of a 14-year-old a Jewish girl, Yael, who lives on an Israeli settlement. And in retaliation, a 14-year-old Palestinian boy who has no relation to, to, to Yael's murder, who is brutally beaten in a mall parking lot. And these two, these two horrible events reverberate an echo in the lives of Palestinians and Jewish israelis and Americans in Israel and a German journalist trying to make her name on, on on some on some newsworthy tragedy and I think trying to show the the echoes and the iterations of of these events in in the lives of of different communities and families I'm I'm I think especially concerned with family life. I, I, I think that's and the way that the political enters family life and, and, and sort of shapes it and in within marriages and between parents and children and lovers and this, I, I, I think that's my I mean, every, every family, I think, is its own little country in a way. so
2: I love that. Well, that's a quote
3: I will use. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> we can trade. We can trade. That's
2: great. Perfect. <laughs> you have just as a last question, any advice for aspiring authors? And I know that you've already given a lot, particularly with regard to finding agents and not giving up and all this other stuff, mm-hmm. but just what's your advice?
3: Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, a few things. One is Slow down in your telling. I think in actually writing, so often we have a place we want the narrative to get to. I do this as well. I have. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I know I want these two people to have an encounter you know, in this bus or at this checkpoint. And I know that's where I want it to go. And I, I can catch myself rushing in the writing to get there. But life happens in the moment's On the way, of course, you know, in in the the sensual, sensory details, and letting letting yourself go word by word, sentence by sentence, to get where you're going, and let the story surprise you, and let yourself find some pleasure in that. You know, don't it's not always it's not always a rush. I would say that would be advice also to myself as I as I work on something new. It's a great, it's such an amazing pleasure and honor to hold your own book but take your time getting there it, it'll be worth it lovely
2: awesome well, it was so nice chatting with you today it was such, a you it
3: was such a pleasure such a pleasure like i don't know like we were
2: just off on some retreat or something <laughs> like taking <laughs> me out of my uh, you know the sirens and everything here in the city and you know i feel like uh, you have like the sense of zen or calm to you
3: in the way you speak. So I feel much more relaxed now. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Well, I can say for my part, I've loved this feeling of being sort of ensconced in your beautiful wooden library. (laughs) There's there's such like a a warmth coming from you and from this room. So, so thank you. I really enjoyed my visit. (laughs)
2: Oh, if you were in town, I would have
3: had you over here. I used to do all these in person. Oh, I would love that. Well, when, you know, when, when that's possible again, I'll I'll come by and I'll bring a copy of the book. <laughs> Perfect. Love I will
2: have one already, but I will take another one. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> All right. We'll have a great day. Thank you so much. Okay. It's pleasure. Good nice to meet you. Bye. Bye. Today's podcast has been sponsored by Under the Influence, a new podcast by author Joe Piazza.